2: The names behind the numbers, the stories behind
0: the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats podcast with John Little.
2: It just makes me so happy that this next generation, and for me, my next generation, my kids were, you know, wearing jerseys of these players and excited about the draft last night. The biggest
0: newsmakers, the best storytellers, the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Here's your host, John Little.
1: What a weekend! Welcome into the Her Hoop Stats Podcast. I'm your host, John Little. Thank you so much for being here as we celebrate the WNBA Draft, all the players that were taken, and just a great all-around Friday night. Thank you so much for being here, and man, uh, we had a lot of fun covering the WNBA Draft and leading up to it. But not only us at Her Hoop Stats, we think that the women's basketball media... In total, did a wonderful job covering the draft this year. So much in-depth coverage out there and so many people who really care about it. And that's the great thing about social media and the landscape these days. The outlets for people to be able to cover their favorite sports, they just continue to grow. And there's no limits for you, say, if you're a basketball supporter that wants to cover the WNBA You can do that. If that's something that interests you covering women's basketball, you know what? You can find an outlet. You can find a way to do that. And I think that's the reason that the women's game is seeing so much more coverage. It's just truly organic. It's truly the fan getting involved here. And it has meant a depth of coverage like women's basketball has never seen. It was a terrific week for that. On the show this week, it is Rebecca Lobo women's basketball announcer at ESPN, an analyst for games. And she was also in studio with Ryan Rucco on Friday night, analyzing all of the picks as they came in. There is no better person to go through the WNBA draft with than Rebecca Lobo. Wanted to have her on the show for a long, long time. And we finally got that chance. Here it is, our conversation with the Hall of Famer, Rebecca Lobo. And Rebecca has recovered and she joins us this morning. Rebecca, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it.
2: My pleasure. I don't know how much I've recovered, but. Uh...
1: <laughs> well, it was uh, certainly a different one, an interesting one. As much as you can tell us from the draft execution portion of it, uh, obviously in studio, you and Ryan and Sue, um, uh, you know, you're in sync there. Uh, But with all the moving parts remotely, how difficult was that for ESPN to pull off last night?
2: You know, I give uh, the people on the production side so much credit because the three of us on the set never felt um, whatever they might have been dealing with (laughs) back in the production room. You know, at times they would come to us and say, all right, the feed has gone out. We're going to have to postpone this interview or that sort of thing. But for the most part to us, It felt really, really smooth, and uh, I thought, you know, Holly had the most challenging job because uh, she was separate from us, and there was, you know, it was a little bit harder for her feel, but um, I was watching some of it back. I thought she did a great job. I I thought under the circumstances, the league and ESPN did about as good a job as they could have done.
1: Well, and it was... Uh, certainly uh, you know the the delay and stuff like that certainly challenging like you said for Holly she's got that double delay uh, but Holly just is, is such a pro and she just uh, does a great job of uh, of keeping the face on and 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 barreling through it as well but that's that's just what you guys had to do last night
2: and you know I think the biggest thing for us is we just wanted to try to do the draft justice we wanted to do the women justice we wanted to make sure that we showed where they were going if we had the time to talk about them that we were able to do that because this is their moment and their moment had already been changed because uh, of COVID-19 and their moment had been changed because they weren't all together in New York celebrating uh, with their class but we were just trying to do as much as we could um, for the draftees and, and I thought you know when I saw what the league had done in terms of sending the boxes to each player that included all 12 hats and mm-hmm. some other swag and a message from the commissioner, I was just like, wow, that that was the right move to make. And um, and when I first heard that the draft wasn't going to be postponed, I was thinking, you know, you well, know, this is a little bit odd because everything is so uncertain. Why, why are we uh, proceeding with the draft? And then. Um, I'm thrilled that that they did, because I think it gave everybody something to focus on, something exciting and happy to focus on right now when we truly need that.
1: Well, absolutely. And, you know, there's been a lot of focus on the WNBA draft, uh, probably more than ever, which, you know, obviously COVID-19 is one of the most horrible things that uh, we've seen in this country in the last hundred years. But at the same time, it really gave people an opportunity to look forward to this this moment like you're saying and and really zero in on it how do you think that might help the wnba in the long term
2: i think it's certainly going to help i mean the the media attention and the uh, eyeballs on the wnba have continued to grow and 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 throughout the course of the playoffs so maybe the last two years in particular last year you just felt like Uh, There was so much momentum that was being gained by the league. And then in the offseason with the collective bargaining agreement, followed by this crazy free agency period, which had uh, we created chatter for Mm -hmm. the first time in the offseason about the league in a really big way. And John, for sure. Um, the number of um, people talking about the WNBA draft this year was exponentially more than anything I've ever experienced before. And, um, and, and a lot of it is within the WNBA community. You know, there's so many more people covering the sport. I think maybe four years ago, there may have been one or two people. Doing a mock draft uh, this year, there were multiple mock drafts. You know, my my Twitter timeline, granted, it's it's the people I follow are mostly women's basketball, but full every day of people talking about the upcoming WNBA draft. And then that last night, uh, you know, so much buzz. Um, that you wouldn't normally have, so I'm interested to see what the ratings are going to be. But certainly, um, right now, the WNBA in its off season is being talked about in a much bigger way than we have ever seen in previous years.
1: And of course, Sabrina Ionescu is a big part of that. She goes number one overall last night. Just the fact that she's going to you know Brooklyn or the New York market, however you want to put that, it was an obvious pick for them of course but there's a lot of buzz in the New York City market to get you know the most recognizable women's basketball player to come out of college since Rebecca Lobo, so do you <laughs> think that? So, how do you think? Um, what's kind of the next step here for Sabrina as as kind of a rock star in in NYC? What do you see for her beyond just uh, the basketball floor? As far as just a face and a voice in that area?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, Sabrina to to New York is a is a perfect marriage, and uh, even. With the uncertainty of if or when there will be a, a WNBA season this year, she I think is going to immediately, if she chooses at some point to live there, um, she, I think she immediately will become one of the the sports celebrities in the city um, in the first couple of years of the, of the WNBA. And, and when I was in New York myself and Teresa Weatherspoon, you know, we would be invited and go to all the events that were happening. And it was we would we would laugh because we would always be with Michael Strahan or or um, some of the other, you know, players on the Giants or the Jets or the Yankees, like at these different events, you just kind of become one of the sports celebrities in the city. And she certainly is going to be that. And and I think what New York has decided to do was perfect. You know, they've moved on from the last chapter. Tina Charles now is in Washington. The, I don't think the expectation is for New York to, to win and be a playoff team right away. I think that expectation from the fans is for them to be exciting right away. And with the players that they have returning, the young players, and then all of the players they got in the draft, I think they certainly are going to be exciting right away, whether or not that translates to wins. But I don't necessarily think that that matters in terms of the excitement that the fans will have for the team. So um, Sabrina's perfect for there. Immediately, I think she's going to be embraced by the, the, the fans and the people of New York. And uh, I think there's going to be tremendous buzz um, whenever you start seeing women's basketball games being played in Barclays.
1: And we, we can't uh, wait for that. The formula became so familiar at Oregon for Sabrina uh, that, that you run a, a pick-and-roll with, with Ruthie a couple times, and then you've got these, these shooters on the wing, or you've got the, the playmaker and Sato, and obviously Sabrina is the straw that stirs the drink, and she's the thing that makes it go, but at the same time, she had these great players uh, around her at Oregon that she was so familiar with. What kind of adjustment is it going to be for her to to play with new players, to to play in a new system after being with Kelly for the last four years. And how do you think she's going to adjust to that?
2: Yes, certainly. And and it'll be a bit of an adjustment. It's an adjustment for any player when they go from one system to the next or one team to the next, one coach to the next. Uh, But Sabrina's game is going to translate whatever the system is. You know, she's got a feel when, when she's open for her shot, she can score it. However, that happens. When her teammates are open, she finds them, whether that's in a pick and roll or driving kick or whatever the situation is going to be. So um, I think. Of course, it's going to be a challenge for the number one pick like it is every year because everyone is going to be gunning for you and trying to shut you down. And if they get the ball out of your hands and leave somebody else wide open, they don't care. They they got the ball out of the hands of the number one pick. So she certainly will have that part. But, uh, you know, her experience uh, every summer playing on different USA basketball teams, playing on three um, three on three USA basketball teams. She's been in different environments with different coaches. She's going to be fine. Uh, You know, I, I I think Walt Hopkins clearly, uh, you know, stocked the team last night. It was like a big wing, then another big wing, then another big wing. You know, he clearly has a, a type of player that um, that he was looking for in the draft, a, a way that he wants to play that I think will certainly, um, you know, play to her strength. So what is that going to look like? We don't know exactly, but um, but I can't wait to see what it's going to look like. And, and it's been a while since we've had a draft where the team that, really struggled the previous year it's been like man i can't wait to see what these guys look like it's usually oh you know they got a little bit better you know maybe they'll be a little closer to the playoffs i can't wait to see what the new york liberty is going to look like and um and that's a different feeling and a vibe than we've had with new york in a little while
1: that's a great point obviously we're going to get to other teams here in a second as well but that's something we were trying to break down last night on our Twitter live post-game show, if you will, Megan Gower's like, I I just don't know how Megan Walker fits in. And then you got, uh, you know, Jocelyn Willoughby getting traded in there as well. Uh, You talk about big wing after big wing. If you have to speculate, does this mean like kind of a, a pace and space type system for Walt in New York. What, what do you think he's setting up here?
2: Yeah, I mean, that, that was um, what he was articulating heading into the draft, you know, that he really wanted to get players who could space the floor, play positionless in some ways, uh, people that would uh, be great in the pick and roll. It, it's interesting because I, I talked to Walt a lot leading up to the draft and his number one focus, the player he desperately wanted was Jocelyn Willoughby. Mm. And um, he just said she was a- absolutely perfect fit for him. And so then when he when he took Megan uh, at the ninth pick, I was like, hmm, there's something interesting here. Well, they still end up getting Jocelyn um, with the trade with Phoenix. So, um, you know, he loves the, the big guard who can shoot threes, who can um, who can switch out defensively. Megan and Jocelyn, he talked to me b- saying both players, they could go small, ball, small ball and play them for extended periods at the four spot. Um, he was telling me early on, uh, that, you know, they val they highly valued Kylie shook, um, because of how she can clog things up defensively and and defend and switch out a little bit on the perimeter, but also her ability to shoot from the three point line. So he has clearly a specific idea of how he wants to play. And every player that he talked to me about that he coveted, he ended up with. (laughs) Um, so I I think he saw maybe Kylie or maybe even Jasmine Jones a little bit higher on his board than other people had them. He he didn't care. He has a way he wants to play. He got the players that he, he wanted. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited to see what it turns into, because uh, he has a vision. What that's going to be, um, you know, we'll kind of have to wait and see
1: it is a race to build a uh, dynasty between, it feels like, New York and Dallas uh, right now. Obviously, there are some haves in this league. Uh, we know about the big threes uh, all over this league right now and, uh, and how... Uh, stack some of these veteran teams are, uh, but as far as young teams go, Dallas last night, what did you think about the way they were at, able to add even more young talent to their team?
2: Yeah, cer- certainly, and, and, and um, you know, Brian Agler, again, another coach who I was talking to coming into the draft, and he said, you know, our needs, we want depth in the post, and we want another point guard so we can play Enrique off the ball. And they clearly got uh, those two things, you know, both with Satu Sabali and B- Bella Allery, you know, big, big players who can shoot the three, stretch you out, drive to the lane. And then um, Ty Harris uh, was such a great get. You know, I think a lot of people, myself included, uh, thought that Ty Harris would go to Minnesota. And uh, Cheryl surprised us a little bit with uh, Herbert Harrigan. Um, and that was perfect for Dallas because uh, cause Ty Harris will be really good for them, in particular if they want to get Arike off the ball a bit. And, uh, and you know, Arike can be a ball-dominant guard, and, and Ty Harris is a point guard who doesn't need to be dominant with the ball. So those two, I think, could fit really nicely with one another.
1: That's a great point. And I, I, I'm wondering about Bella Allery in that – uh, obviously, Dallas liked Lauren Cox a lot, but they couldn't pass up on Satu. Um, you know, I, I know there are different types of players. Uh, Allery will stretch the floor a little bit more than Lauren will, but but Bella is such a willing defender. Obviously, Lauren's just a dominant defender. Uh, in what way do you see Bella Allery as kind of a, a, a Lauren Cox light with, you know, some more offensive versatility? You know, for those... Dallas fans who are, uh, you know, kind of woe is me that they, they missed out on the local player. Sell us on Bella Allery if you would.
2: Well, what's I think the most intriguing part of Bella Allery is um, when I say this, it's not. It's meant as a sincere compliment. And, and that a lot of people said, you know, she might be right now like the poor man's Elena Deladon or the poor man's Emma Mieseman. And what you see there is she has the potential as her body develops and matures and gets stronger to at least in some coaches and general managers eyes to um, get her game to that level. And um and I think that's one of the reasons you look at her and, and she's got those same kind of physical traits and skills. She needs to improve her left hand. She the, the things she needs to do, she can do. She's got the the physical gifts to have a game like, like Emma Miesemann, for example. She just needs to um continue to get better and she'll have those opportunities overseas and also in the WMBA. So um, it'll be interesting how much Dallas, uh, tries to use her in her rookie year, whenever that, whenever that ends up being. Um, but the potential and the ceiling for her, I think are really, really high. And, um, and, and I think that's one of the reasons, uh, teams were, were so excited about her is yes, she's very good now, but we could see her in the Della Don and mold. And, um, <laughs> that's a pretty good mold
1: it is a pretty good mold and uh yeah exactly that's one of those uh comparisons you want to uh, you want to back off as much as you can and say it kind of whisper it under your breath you don't want to put too much pressure on a player like that but at the same time that's that's uh really exciting for Dallas fans uh, to think about you mentioned the surprise of Kiki Herbert Harrigan. Uh, was that to you just no doubt the, the biggest surprise of last night or was there something else that stood out to you?
2: There are a couple surprises, I think. Um, yeah, that, that was a surprise just because uh, Minnesota kind of needed a point guard and, and Ty Harris was available and it just seemed like a really good fit. But at the same time, Cheryl had told me leading up to the draft, just because everyone says we need a point guard, um, you know, I I will take what I think is the best player there and we'll figure out how to play. And I love Kiki Herbert Harrigan. The surprise for her to go six was just that I hadn't heard a lot of other people talk about her being quite six. You know, you thought maybe a little bit later in the first round. Um, But she's got a competitive edge to her, a fire to her. you know, just a, a meanness in the best way possible on the basketball court, in terms of, um, you know, her desire to win and the flair that she with, um, like Planet Pearson had when she was uh, with Minnesota when they won the championship. I I think her game fits really well in Minnesota. I I think she'll do really well there. But certainly, just because everyone expected them to take Ty Harris, that was a bit of a surprise. I think one of the other surprises, um, Beatrice, mom, Premier, uh, falling to uh, L.A. Um, she's a great fit for L.A. You just wonder if there's any room on their roster for a, a rookie to make the team. But, you know, a lot of people had been talking about her in the first round, and for her to, to fall down to um, to L.A.'s pick was a bit of a surprise.
1: I got you. I got you. We're visiting with Rebecca Lobo, of course. For our friends in Atlanta, we've been talking a lot about teams with a lot of picks and, and stuff like that. Obviously, Atlanta is trying to, to rebuild their roster. How can Kennedy... Carter helped them do that and I, I hear her talked a lot about as as a shooting guard but her assist numbers were great in college as well how do you see her fitting in is she like a, an Arike at the next level where she's a combo is do, does she strictly play that shooting guard role how how do you see her at the next level
2: I think Arike is probably a really good um a really good comparison because when I was talking to Nikki Collin leading up to the draft uh that's how they plan to use her is as a lead guard and, um, And so Rike proved how how successful she could be doing it um, a year ago in Dallas. And and Atlanta to me is another one. Like I was talking about how excited I am to watch the New York Liberty and what Walt's going to do there. I'm really excited to watch Atlanta too, because who knows what's going to happen down there, but it's going to be fun to watch. (laughs) Uh, You know, they've got so many big personalities. You know, Courtney Williams is a big personality. I I love being around them so much last year during the playoffs and the finals, uh, Ryan Ruko. And I were with Connecticut in the semifinals and then obviously in the finals and, and, and Courtney Wilm's a big, fun personality. That's, that's just a delight to cover. Kennedy Carter is a big personality. It, it, you know, glory Johnson can be a big personality. So, um, it's going to be fun to see how Nikki makes these personalities fit together, makes their games fit together. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, if Kennedy can really embrace the role of balancing di- her dis- distribution with looking for her own shots, and if she can really mesh with Courtney and, and mesh um, with, you know, Shekinah Strickland shooting the three and Glory Johnson running the floor, like <laughs> they could be really good again. And, and Ryan Rucco and I were talking about that a little bit last night, you know, because Atlanta was so close to playing for a WNBA final. And they're playing in a WNBA Finals. And then last year, you know, they just struggled. So um, are these pieces enough to get them back to the, to what they looked like two years ago? We'll see. But uh, that's another one. It's just going to be fun to watch um, that chemistry develop.
1: Here's what it comes down to is in this league with – uh, you know, as everybody says, the 144 best players in the world. There are storylines on every single one of these teams. There are great players on every single one of these teams. And the margin is so thin. Sometimes I, I look back at Atlanta last season, for instance, and I guess they ran into, you know, some injury problems. And, um, you know, sometimes teams are young and things like that. But at the top, when we've got these these six power teams it feels like this coming into this season where you know you could squint and see every one of them winning a championship uh, whenever the season does happen what's the difference between a championship and no championship for some of these power teams that have been put together for next season
2: something that we talked about a lot maybe it was three or four years ago throughout the course of the playoffs the, the one biggest determining factor was health the teams that were consistently healthy throughout the course of the season, and in particular as it led into the playoffs, were the teams that, um, that had the best chance to win. And this is back, you know, when Minnesota and L.A. were competing against each other in the playoffs and in the finals. And I think that's going to be the determining factor again this coming season um, for two reasons. One of them is if you get one of those top two spots, it's such an unbelievable advantage that you don't have to face a single elimination game. And how you do that is by winning games in the regular season. And how you win games in the regular season is by having most of your players available and staying healthy. And then um, the way it it can be structured, uh, a lot of games in short amount of time come playoffs. Again, it's, it's to be healthy. So um, I think even more than in other leagues, because the season is short because of the playoff structure and format, Um, health is huge and what's interesting too John is that you know you talk about 144 jobs that's not even the case Uh, (laughs) Washington will play with an 11 player roster this year they won't be able to carry 12 because of the salary cap Connecticut will start the season with 11 players until they can add a 12th under the cap Phoenix will start with 11 players until they can add a 12th um, once they get to a certain point of the season because of the cap. So it's an even, you know, we talk about the 144. It's even harder to make a team than that because it's not even 144 all season long. Um, so again, you know, for those teams, health, vitally important, um, and especially to your your big guns.
1: You know, with the CBA, that's something I was thinking about, uh, kind of wrestling with in my mind the other day was, okay, it, it, it seems that, the, the cap and the increased salaries, that's taken away some jobs. But at the same time, what do you hope that the CBA does for the WNBA with the possibility of expansion down the line uh, that eventually it does make it better and gives us more opportunities for these players. Certainly, that's got to be the the end goal here is making the league more financially viable so you can add more teams again, uh, so you can give more opportunities. Is that kind of how you see it?
2: Yes, certainly. I mean, it's something you think about every year um, at this time around draft time is how few jobs there are in the WNBA. You know, you've got last night 36 players got drafted even more signed you know training camp contracts these women are you know saw their dream come true and then they look at a roster and say oh my gosh like <laughs> how do i make this team <laughs> it's it's really hard to make a team even as a as a late first-round pick or early second-round pick, that's just the the reality of it all. And um, But as the WNBA continues to grow and becomes more popular and more financially stable, that the hope, of course, is that we can add um, a couple of teams because certainly there's a lot of players who have WNBA talent who won't be on rosters this year simply because there's no room.
1: We're visiting with Rebecca Lobo, and I've just got to say, quick aside, fanboy here, You know, to me, as you were in your prominence at UConn, that's when my sports eyes became open and you are the the first women's basketball player that i remember and i i mean that and so that's that's very special to me to be able to talk to you first of all so i i, I thank you for that second of all you've been able to transition and and keep yourself at the forefront a, a leader of this uh, of women's basketball because of uh, uh, the analysis you're able to do it and being at espn for so many years as a, as a pro, you weren't able to have um, the long career that you wanted because of injuries. but as you 've tried to transition and and stay um, influential with the game, how have you grown as an analyst as an influencer things like that over these last however many years it's been almost twenty now since you wrapped up your playing career
2: um, well, first of all, thank you for your kind words. I have to say that yesterday um, I was, you know, early in the day as I'm, you know, getting ready to head off to ESPN. My 13 year old daughter came down to the kitchen and she was wearing her Nefisa or Minnesota Lynx jersey, and she said, "You know, I'm ready for the draft today." And then my old daughter came downstairs wearing a Connecticut Sun circa 2004 Nikisha Sales jersey. And she said, you know, this um you know, this is my draft day fit or whatever ridiculousness she was saying. And <laughs> and I just like it just makes me so happy that um, you know, this next generation and for me, my next generation, my kids, um, were, you know, wearing jerseys of these players and excited about um about the draft last night so anyway th- that's that part of it the transition for me I, I i love women's basketball i love covering women's basketball i the wnba is, is my favorite that, the, the level of competition especially once you get to the playoffs is off the charts the women are just so much fun to deal with um, it, so it's been a, a dream come true for me and, and i appreciate it, um, every moment that i get to do this all that being said when i first started um, you know, in the broadcasting world, I was not good. Um, I was bad. And, and I think like you, you just, when you first start, you don't know exactly what you're doing. You don't know, uh, how, how you're supposed to articulate certain things. You don't know when you're supposed to talk or even more importantly, when you're supposed to not talk in the big moments when you're calling a game. And, um, I'm just lucky that in a lot of ways, you know, ESPN st- stuck with me and gave me opportunities, um, you know, when I first came out of college in, in in the late '90s, and the WNBA started, I had a chance to work in studio during the NCAA tournament, and I was again, I was not good, and um, I lost. You know, I, I then I got I, my I got hurt with my knee, so I, I stopped doing any broadcasting, trying to rehab and get back. And when 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 it was time that I thought for me to get back and do broadcasting again, ESPN was not interested. They said, you know, we're you know, we've got other people doing this. We don't basically, we don't think you're very good. And, and so um, I just waited. And when I retired from the WNBA after the 2003 season, the following year, Pat Lowry was at ESPN. And she said, we've got an opening for a sideline reporter in the WNBA. You know, was is this something you'd want to do? And I said, Yeah, I would. And uh, I was so fortunate that most of the games I did were with Doris Burke. She was the, uh, the analyst on the games. And she helped me along and taught me. And then after that, I got an opportunity to do sideline for women's college games. And again, Doris was the analyst on those. And she took me along and taught me. And during those games, just because I was listening to her the whole time, I really started to learn the right way to call basketball games. And then from there, got some opportunities as an analyst and eventually have gotten to the point where I get to call the final four. I get to call the WNBA finals, but it's been a real process for me over the course of the last 15 or 20 years. Um, you know, to right away, when I came out of school, I was handed this awesome studio gig, wasn't very good at it, and then had to start over and work my way up. And, um, and again, that's, I think one of the reasons why I don't take any of it for granted and absolutely love doing what I do. And, uh, and appreciate the fact that, that I still get to do it.
1: That's awesome. I, what made you stick with it and know that you wanted to do it if, like you say, you weren't any good at it at first or, you know, you weren't very good at it at first? What what was the determining factor that made you say, listen, I I, I, I still want to do this, though, and I want to get good at it? What What was that?
2: <laughs> well, it's funny because you don't realize at the time necessarily that you're not good. It's not until later when you look back, you're like, man, I was not very good. Amen. Um, It was right. (laughs) You don't know what you don't know. So, um, I just I wanted to do it. And because I wanted to do it, I wanted to be I wanted to get I wanted to get good. And again, I was just put in really fortunate situations for me. Um, You know, early when I was calling those college games as a sideline reporter, Mark Jones was the play by play and Doris was the analyst. I mean, how lucky was I that, you know, I got to, to learn from that. And then Early days when I was sidelined on the WNBA, you know, Pam Ward's calling the games. Doris is an analyst. Uh, You know, it was it was a great opportunity for for me to learn. But I loved it. I loved it. And I wanted to get good. And so, um, you know, there's you get a real adrenaline when you are are part of a telecast that like a a great game. There's a real adrenaline there because the crowd's big. You're feeling it, too you know after a game if you've called a good game um, or, or if the, the analysis was good or not good. And, and it's a high when it is, just like it is for players when you've played well. So there's just a drive to be good at something. And, um, and you know, I'm, hopefully I'll, I'll continue to get better because um, I still really, really love to do this.
1: What's the best advice you ever got from Doris Burke?
2: I'm not sure if it was particular advice that she gave me. Um But just watching her, there is no person who does more and says more with fewer words than Doris. She always picks out exactly what she wants to say and can say it succinctly. And that's so important in a fast moving game like basketball, because you need to be in and you need to be out um, when it's, you know, when it's time for you not to be talking. And the other thing is, just listening to her and watching her in big moments and how she handles them. And most of that time, that just means knowing when to be quiet. And, um, and just the other night, ESPN was replaying uh, game five, I believe from 2018, when, uh, when Seattle beat Phoenix um, to move on to the finals. And it was this huge game. Sue Bird has an amazing game. Ryan Rucco had an amazing call on that game. And I said to him when I saw him at the draft, I said, the thing I was most proud of in myself in that game was that I knew when to be silent because that's really important. No one to let Ryan do his thing. No one to just let the crowd take over. And I think that's a huge thing I learned from Doris is knowing when to be silent and then how to say things in the fewest amount of words, which I just did not do very well answering your question, by the way. <laughs>
1: That's what a podcast is for. This is when we get out all the words, you know, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> during the games, we've got to be, you know, we've got to be succinct. But, uh, you know, right now, you know, this is when we get to listen to ourselves talk and stuff like that. Um, how's your, how's your family dealing with this really weird time right now?
2: It, it's the weirdest uh, time of all of our lives. Um, so I've got four kids. My oldest is a sophomore in high school. Um, I have an eighth grader, a sixth grader, and a fourth grader. So they are all doing school from home. My oldest takes classes via Zoom, so she's you know in a room doing her normal school thing. Um, my eighth grader and sixth grader, you know, they get their assignments. They can work on them. But John, I tell you what, I have become a fourth grade teacher (laughs) and, uh, you know, my, my fourth grader, uh, her teacher at school is terrific. They send things, but for a nine year old, that's not an age where they do really well just sitting down and getting their work done. So I sit next to her. I've, uh, I've brushed up on how to, um, add and subtract fractions and, uh, improper fractions (laughs) and all that fun stuff. So, um. The, the, one of the things that was so great about the draft, it was two weeks of full immersion back in the WNBA for me, and really working and having a focus on on that part of my brain. Um, but starting Monday, I will be back, uh, spending most of my time <laughs> as a fourth grade teacher, and then you know trying to stay sane. I, I live in a really rural part of Connecticut, and so it's very safe for us to go out for walks or for hikes and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, the rest of the time we are pretty much um, staying home and, you know, not trying to be as safe as possible. Um, And for me, you know, I go to the grocery store only once a week. That's my only time out in public with my face mask on. So we're taking this really seriously. It's a weird world we're living in, but um, but certainly doing everything we can to to keep uh, people safe.
1: So very weird. I don't know if it's good or bad that my day job i am working from home right now but it, you know i'm i'm on the air so i'm in and out of my walk-in closet and you know sometimes i get asked about fractions and things like that and i'm just like uh, yeah it's it's five over two it's two and a half i mean come on and but she's like why you know and how do i how do i yeah. get there and i'm like i I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to tell you. So I commend you is what I'm saying for doing the teacher aspect of that, not just the uh, the the end game there. So that's uh, very, very impressive.
2: I I have to say there there have been times where like my kid will have uh, one of my kids will have a math problem and then, you know, you solve it and then underneath. They say, yeah, but I have to say why I got this answer. And I I say, why? It's math. It's the beauty with math. There is no why. It just is. It just is. (laughs) It's a fact. It just is. This isn't philosophy. This is math.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So my heart goes out to you for all the different balls you're juggling right now uh, with your family life. But uh, we were so excited to to see you ryan holly the whole crew sue on the uh, air last night talking some women's basketball and it certainly gave us at least a touch of normalcy so uh we appreciate that and thank you so much for spending so much time with us this morning
2: oh it was such a delight to be uh to be around those guys last night and it- I don't know how it's going to happen, what form it will take, what it will look like. But gosh, I'm hoping there's some semblance of a WNBA season because one, that means the world is at a place where we can do that. But to uh, this league is ready to just explode, and um, I think this upcoming season could just be spectacular.
1: Thanks so much to Rebecca Lobo for joining the program, and I hope that helps you wrap up WNBA Draft Week and helps you kind of uh, get your head around what just happened in the WNBA. And of course, like she said, we... Hope that uh, sooner rather than later, we're able to see some games played in the WNBA and across the sports landscape as well, because it feels like it has been forever. A reminder, make sure to rate and review the show. It helps us out so much on Apple Podcasts when you do. But no matter where you listen to the show, hit that subscribe button. That way, whenever we release our next show, you're going to hear it. And our next show, by the way, is with the new head coach at the University of Texas. Vic Schaefer will be joining us. Coming over from Mississippi State. After some incredibly successful seasons there, now he goes back to his home state of Texas to lead the Longhorns. And we'll hear what Coach Schaefer has to say about trying to build a dynasty in Austin. Thanks to everybody involved in this one, including the great Rebecca Lobo. Also, our executive producer is Erin Barzillai. Our announcer, Susie Solis. And the music by Jared Deck. JaredDeckMusic.com. I'm your host, John Little. Reminding you, at the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we are unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats.
0: Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader.